Fesser. Fesser, the delivery right by Adams. Rebound! It's Bjork Olsen! And Vermont Green up two! Cohen claims a body. Kobe over the goalie and Vermont Green in front again. Ryan Kobe. Salvez. O'Neal the turn. Mark O'Neal. Ridiculous stuff. Oh, baby, Mark O'Neal, that was a delight. Finds a way to get it to Lilly, who gets it to Nwagbo. He puts it on target. Oh, Diva Nwagbo did it from the sideline. Diva Nwagbo, highlight reel, and we've got our first uh, Season one, episode 14, United in Green. Uh, we have returning champion, Tyler, the creator. How you doing, Tyler? Doing well. A pleasure to be here. Uh, excited to talk to Brian tonight. Uh, and yeah, thanks for having me back. No problem. Uh, having you back. Uh, you're one of the hosts, <laughs> man. You, you don't have to thank yeah. me. You, you don't have to invite me every time and you do. So I feel like that's, that's worth <laughs> appreciating. It's pretty easy because you're just like part of the email, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's kind of stuck. You, in yeah. That. You're just kind of stuck there and I'm, I'm too lazy to take you out. So yeah. until, uh, that day, until that day comes, I'm just going to be here, I guess. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you're just the guy that shows up, I guess. Yeah. Um and then on the other side of it, you just kind of blew up uh blew up my spot with the with the special guest we have today. Uh we have the voice of the Vermont Green uh and he's the he's the fellow you get to hear on our on our opening uh with all those with all those amazing uh classic calls of of, of our first season goals uh which obviously will hopefully change in the uh in the new season of United in Green, we'll we'll add some stuff in, take some stuff out, or maybe just go all new. We'll see what happens. But uh, welcome to Brian McLaughlin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank thank you guys so much for uh, having me on the show. Honored to be here. I was going to say, we need to update some of those highlights because personally, I feel like I've had some better highlights this season that, that I need to get on there. So uh, I, I'm honored to be on the show. Excited to talk all things Vermont Green with you guys tonight. Should be a fun time. I hope it is. I hope it is. You know, uh, the, the, the thing that sucks is that, is that tonight we're, we're kind of ending our, ending our season, uh, with game recaps and, and, and that kind of stuff, but it kind of brings us into like the new season, which we're going to do a big recap next weekend or next week, uh, on United and green. And then we'll get into some off season stuff and, and see where it goes from there. Um, but the way we usually start, um, the way we usually start is to just kind of uh, get kind of our guests' origin stories with with soccer, uh, with being in Vermont, um, and how you got to uh, do what you're doing. Because I know you also do UVM basketball, correct? I do. I, I wear a lot of different hats. That's for sure. UVM basketball is kind of my main gig, though, for sure. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Just tell us. Uh, Tell us how you got started. Is do you have a soccer origin story? Do you have uh, uh, just a, a broadcasting origin story that you want to talk about? Yeah, I think kind of on the short side of it, soccer wise, played soccer all throughout my entire life growing up. Played through high school. Was never really a big soccer fan. Always kind of enjoyed going to games and watching, but I don't think I watched a professional soccer game on TV until I was in college. Probably I had early on adopted. Chelsea is my main professional club team because I fell in love with Didier Drogba during a World Cup. I loved international soccer. Um, and so I kind of viewed it through that lens growing up. Then during 
college, I went to Penn State University, knew I wanted to study broadcasting, knew I wanted to go into the play-by-play realm. Never really thought that broadcasting soccer was something that was on my agenda. It was much more into your classic football, baseball, basketball kind of sports. Um, I'll broadcast anything, but those were the sports that I would have probably told you that's what I want to do professionally. And then Project Restart happened and COVID happened and soccer was one of the first sports that came back on TV. And I I got really back into it with a couple of the people I was quarantined with. And uh, I have some friends who were already very into Premier League soccer. And so I dove all the way back in into my Chelsea fandom and uh, then ended up getting the job at UVM with the men's basketball team pretty much directly out of school. I graduated from Penn State in 2020. Moved up to Vermont in uh, the fall of 2020, started with UVM men's basketball. I'm lucky that I get to work for a lot of schools around here, Middlebury College, St. Michael's College as well. And then Vermont Green kind of formed when I was realizing last summer that I was not going to be working in minor league baseball, which is something I'd done previously. I reached out to the founders and was basically like, hey, guys, um, I'm a broadcaster. I'm around this summer. I love soccer. And Personally, it was a mission that I really connected to climate justice being social justice. Um, My parents both work for the Penn State Environmental Center. So I grew up around environmental education really my entire life as much as I did growing up around sports. So it was something that I was very familiar with, could talk about all the different types of global warming concepts and things that the the co-founders are trying to do so much work on. And so it was kind of an easy match from there. And that's that's pretty much how I landed with Vermont Green, and I've been really fortunate to be doing these games the last couple of years. Well, it goes without saying, man, that we are feel super lucky to have you as part of like the Vermont Green community. And you know, we talk a lot about on the show about the differences between what this club is doing and what other clubs at the U- other USL two clubs are doing. Uh, and I feel like our broadcasting is like second to none uh, in terms of like just the production, the quality, and certainly the commentary. Um, and it's, you know, for a lot of folks who are huge fans of Vermont Green, but obviously aren't in the area, like you are the voice of Vermont Green to them. And it's awesome knowing that we're so well well represented out there and um, just awesome to have you as, as part of the community. Um, tell us about the first season and sort of like getting into back into the swing of doing doing live commentary for soccer and how, what was it like sort of learning the the inner workings of like a minor league soccer team after working with like college teams and in other sports? Like what was different? What was the same? What surprised you? I'll start with the fact that USL2 does not have all that often very public rosters. And so Vermont Green are great about publishing who's on the team, who wears what number. You have more than 18 jerseys. So many of the teams we play only have 18 kits that they give out because that's how many guys dress. And so they've got those numbers and the guys rotate what numbers they wear. So that was the first major adjustment for me as far as the broadcasts go of just, okay, who's playing for this team? What number are they wearing on game day? Even still, I'm often not learning what number the other teams are wearing until they get to the field that day, which is a different type of hurdle. But as far as year one went, for me, it was, all right, I'm a soccer fan. I haven't done this soccer broadcasting thing in a while. I did it at a low level in college. Um, And so it was, 
first off, working with the production team, which I have to say, make Matt and I look outstanding. If it were not for our outstanding production group, the, the stream would not look or sound as nearly good as it does. So major credit to them, first of all, because they're really the backbone of all of it. And so it was working with them to say, okay, what type of setup is going to make this thing at least just enough to, for people to follow? And then from there, it was really learning how to work with Matt. Matt Montel, my outstanding color commentator, who has made incredible, incredible strides as a broadcaster from year one to year two. He had never worked in broadcast before. It was something really? where he played, he played some pickup soccer with Keel Corey, one of the team's founders. Keel knew he loved to talk footy. Matt will talk soccer with anybody for as long as they'll <laughs> listen. And so Keel just kind of reached out to him when, because I had initially had conversations with Keel, the group had asked me, okay, what does your dream broadcast setup look like? And I said, well, I'd love to have a color commentator, somebody who just knows soccer. And so they set me up with Matt. And it was me teaching Matt how to be a broadcaster and Matt teaching me how to analyze soccer. And so it was really a great partnership in that sense, the two of us learning from each other. And we grew so much in year one. By the end of the year, it felt pretty seamless. Those first couple games at times were a struggle. Um, and so yeah. it, it, year one was kind of getting out all the kinks, working through some hurdles, learning how to work with Matt at a high level. This year, it's felt so much smoother. We've had cameras, three cameras for every game, incredible replays, great graphics. We're able to do a pregame show where I talk to one of the coaches before every single home match. So it's felt like an actual production this year where we are all very familiar with what our roles are. And I think it's led to some really exciting moments on the broadcast, some really cool stories we've been able to tell. And I tell you what, I'm also very fortunate that People tune in from all over. We get people tweeting at us from, from England. We had listeners from Asia, Costa Rica. It is ridiculous where people are watching these games from. It's you just, yeah. it's, it's an amazing like international audience. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I'm always stunned by how, how much support there is and how, how far like something as basic as like, even like a live stream goes in terms of getting your team and your game and your mission out into the world and to people who want to watch it. And obviously what you guys are doing with the broadcast is at a whole other level, but, you know, to go back to your point about the team numbers, it's like, it's the basic pieces where it's like, have give people your team numbers and names before the game. Like, and I'll be able to, if you tell me that stuff, I can tell your story so much better. And I can talk about right. your players. Like it would just make sense for those teams to be able to give me that information. And I can make it sound so much better for you guys. It is Simple. directly beneficial for people to know who your players are, to be able to watch the games. And even if you can't support a uh, you know world-class like broadcasting team the way we do, at least give people a view of your team playing. Like it just seems like just, you know, bare bones, simple thing. thing to do. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it, kind of tagging on to what you guys are saying, what Tyler was saying is that is that we have a lot of a lot of our listeners and viewers on the stream from from all over the place, all over the world. Um, I personally know at least four people in Australia through my other podcasts wow. who who are very who are very interested in this in this club, two of them being uh, four screen rover fans. Um you know, so being having that kind of outreach is huge. The thing is, I've had questions on on um, the di- on our Discord 
about um, why is it we only get to watch the home games? Um, why is it, you know, it, you know, it, and we have to explain, you know, uh, USL two is a, probably on a par with like the A League. No, I, I'm making fun of them, but um, <laughs> um, it, it, USL two is a, is a developmental league. It's a pre-professional league, but they caught on because of the mission of the club mostly, and because, um, and because they had read about the club in uh, in a in a short article about Forest Green Rovers. Um, so I get, I guess, going, you know, I'm struggling to not be long-winded here with this question, but um, has there been any discussion about possibly traveling? with the team and doing some away games where we know there's not going to be a stream, maybe just something rudimentary, like, like you did for, uh, for the, the one match in Seacoast. Like, is there, has there been any more talk about doing that kind of a, on a permanent basis as far as an audio? Oh, I think we might've lost you. He, maybe I lost everybody. Oh, sorry. You got me. You lost me there for a second. I think. Yeah. Sorry about I, I that. lost everybody. That was weird. Like my whole thing froze up. Um, where did, what was the last thing you said? You heard, um, you were long winded asking the question. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Still being long winded. Um, so the question I guess was being that, um, you know, we have so many folks everywhere. In, in, that are listening and tuning in. The question was um, from a couple of my Australian friends: Why do we only get to watch or listen, watch yeah. or listen to the home games? Um, and the question is: In the future, have there been discuss or have there been discussions about possibly traveling with the team, like you did for the one Seacoast game? Um, because I feel that was a huge success. I was I was cooking dinner listening to it on, on, on the, on that stream. And that was that, I think it was a wildly popular stream, uh, whether it's and just had, audio or we get some rudimentary video, I think it would be awesome. Yeah. But has there been any discussion on that? First of all, I had so much fun getting to travel with the team that day and getting to broadcast that game. And it was maybe the best win of the year that I got to see going on the road and beating Seco, such an important match. There's been some talk of, okay, how could we make this work? Um, would it make sense for us to do it? There is also talk of USL2 trying to mandate a stream for teams next yeah. year. The question would be then, do teams just kind of eat a fine potentially and say, well, we're still not going to have a stream, just fine us, we'll, we'll kind of take that. So there's still a lot of, I think, some details to be worked out as, to far, as far as does USL2 mandate anything. I can say the group we work with that produces our games, NSN, Northeast Sports Network, which is different than Nesson ever so slightly, um, they have people all out throughout New England who broadcast and produce games for people in New York, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire. And talking with our producer, Justin St. Pierre, who produced about half of our games this year, he was like, look, we've got people that could be producing some of these games for other teams. Yeah. Now that's only in our division specifically, but I think that would be something that would look really interesting. Uh, a potential league-wide or division-wide partnership with those guys to even just set up a one-camera production like we do for, say, a St. Michael's College broadcast. Those things are still high-level enough for people to follow the matches. As far as Vermont Green specifically, 
I think that it's something that we have to kind of play it as it goes. There's obviously the interest. Um, we did, even on that day where I went to Seacoast and was able to, which I know I'm not supposed to say that that full name on here. I'm, I'm supposed to make up something kind of, kind of funny. Sorry. When I went to that town in New Hampshire to broadcast that game, um, there was, we, we messed around with maybe trying to do a YouTube live where we set up a little camera on the top of Sam Glickman's laptop that we're broadcasting off of. <laughs> we messed, we messed around with a couple different ways to even just try to get very rudimentary video, which it was possible. We were worried though in that instance because we were also, here's some behind the scenes stuff. We were broadcasting that game off the hotspot. There was no wifi. So that was all oh. off the hotspot that we brought. We were worried about overloading that with any video production. Yeah. So that's another issue. Then when we go to some of these places, if there's no internet, then it's going to be really tough to broadcast from. So that's kind of a, a another hurdle that we would have to cross. Welcome, that being said, welcome to Epping. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they are not alone in this league with that. I would love to do more of those radio broadcasts because I am a radio person at heart. Like I said, that's my main job with the Vermont men's basketball team. That is to me, the truest art of play-by-play is being able to describe things and have people be able to picture it. That's where I got into this. Um, and so radio is really my first true love. Getting to do it on a soccer call was really, really invigorating. And I, uh, I've i listened back to that broadcast a couple of times, and I'm itching to try it again because there are some areas that I would love to improve on. Personally, I hold myself to a high standard. I know everyone really appreciated that broadcast, but I would I would love to get another crack at it to, to maybe make some own individual tweaks. And for those of you who, who don't know what what Brian did, he went down to Seacoast for arguably one of the most important games of the season and did 90 minutes solo. Uh, of radio broadcasting and captured the game, the excitement, the back and forth in it's like a wonderfully vivid and consistent way. And like, you know, like Mike said, I was like sitting there making dinner for the kids, listening to the game on the radio. And it was, it was awesome. It reminded me of being back in, you know, Boston back then. It seemed like this, like a Sox game or something. Like it just, it was a really, it was in, in a lot of ways, it was better than having like a sort of shitty one camera stream. It was it was just like a really um, amazing, uh, uh, vivid sports broadcast experience. And I mean, I, I know you and I talked about this after the game on Sunday, but it was just it was phenomenal, man. Like truly like 90 minutes of solo commentaries is no <laughs> is no small thing. I was exhausted. Let I me feel tell like you, you on that bus for a couple days after that. I um. But look, I think the solution to to the solution and almost the necessity for USL two is to mandate streams and create a fine system that is uh, so skewed that eating the fine is far exceeds any truly minor costs to like setting up a rudimentary streaming operation at each of these clubs. Like it's it's just so important if you want the game to be to spread to be able to compete with mls and in certain markets you need to have even for lower level teams a reliable way for fans to discover or follow teams like that's just it seems so just obvious and you know you're not asking people to build stadiums you're not asking people to create spend exorbitant amounts of money to do something that isn't necessary it's like have people who are either not able to make it to the to your games in your area or or fans of the opposing team or like it benefits everybody like your team the entire division the entire league like 
show the games. And I'm and I'll say this: I'm incredibly lucky that the Vermont Green FC front office and founders realize that and respect that because I've worked for teams where that is not the case. And yeah. so the fact that they have put an investment into the broadcast and realize how it has helped the team grow, I'm incredibly fortunate that that front office and those guys realize how important that investment is because it's it's not always the case even in say minor league baseball that's just not always the case anymore and people are I think in some ways going away from that and trying to figure out how they can cut the pennies and how they can maybe just try to figure out we need to get people in the ballpark and not actually watching or listening on a stream or a radio that's that's not always the way to go. You can bring in so many people and it goes hand in hand with all the great social media and all the great marketing that this club does. I think in the end, uh, the USL2 should recognize the fact, and, and like you said, there may be a mandate, but they should recognize the fact that a club like Sea Monkeys um, can can and does have a youth academy that brings in a multi, in, n- not just a youth academy in that area, a multi-regional youth academy that stretches from Massachusetts into New Hampshire, into into southern and even into northern Maine. That that they they have the money to to produce streams. They have the money to do that. They choose to put their money in other places. We don't have youth academies that bring money in like that. It's it, it's all upon the the uh, the founders and the ownership group to take the money that they're making, put it back and reinvest it into the club, which they, which then, um, you know, it, it garners respect and it, and, it, and it brings more fans in and, and gets the fans to reinvest in the club that way. It's a big cyclical thing that yeah. these guys have had the forethought and, 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 and the knowledge and, and the amazing, you know, the amazing, um, ability to understand what they've got here and what they're working with. Like these guys are incredibly smart and oh, yeah. they've, they've done almost everything right here. They, none of them would admit it. I, I guarantee none of they're all very humble, humble guys. And none of them would admit that they've done almost everything right. Every step of the way, but for us as fans um, and even for a lot of the, the unpaid interns and uh, that go along, come along with the club um, and in the players, I think from the top down, everything has been done right. And especially with, with our, with our in stadium voices and our, and our, our media voices. And we really, uh, I, I'm going to say straight off the top that your voice for me brings me back to when I was a kid with my little tiny radio that I would have in my window with the antenna that I, I stuck out of the, the, I had a a screen, an old screen in my window and I would stick the antenna out of the hole. I made a hole just to listen to the Red Sox games, listen to Ken Coleman and Joe Castiglione do the Red Sox games. when I was a little kid, your voice is one of those voices that I'm never going to forget. Every time I hear it, I'm like, Oh, I know that dude. I, I, I initially, when I first heard it, I said, I, it sounds like the guy from UVM basketball. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and sure enough, because I would listen to UVM basketball games on my way into work on the weekends. And, um, and your voice has contributed to, to uh, how this club has grown and, and, and through the, through the community. And 
And uh, I want to thank you straight up for that. Um, well, I, I appreciate the kind words, guys. I just wish I had a cool accent like Tom Proctor. Then it'd really be in business. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't battle with that. He dominates the home games from. Yeah, he's a he's a city boy. It's it's that's the thing. He's loud. <laughs> he's loud. And he's you know he's a he's a Manchester guy. So oh. you know he's he his voice like it's so weird because you know I uh, went down to Western Mass with him to the to match a Western Mass, and his voice is almost the same but way more subtle and quiet when you're riding in a vehicle with him mm. so he knows Never when to turn it up quiet tom it's well it wasn't quiet on the way home he was definitely very vocal on the way home but on the way down on the way down yeah. a lot of serious discussion we were having and and uh he had he had a lot of great things to say and i was like where's that voice and then like we got down almost down to the to the venue and the voice started coming out Oh, he's ramping up for this match. And I know. Yep. When he flicks that microphone on, I sit next to him. I sit next to him during those pregames. Sometimes I know when Tom Proctor turns it on and off, he he's got that switch that he can go to for sure. He sure does. He sure does. And, and uh, yeah, in the end, we just, I, I think from all of us at United and green, we really appreciate what you guys do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, I'm fortunate to have guys like you who are, also talking about the team, man, like I, I'm a fan of this team. Like you guys are, that's I, I'm wearing like one of the practice shirts right now. That's. And so I'm just a big nerdy fan of Vermont green FC. Like, like you guys, I tune into the podcast. I love the breakdown of the players and where the club's sitting at. And so that's, that's an honor that people like me enjoy my work. That means in my mind, I'm doing a good job when other fans appreciate what I'm doing. And so, yeah, I, I I've had a blast the last couple of years and, uh, it's been really fun following this team. And uh, I, I mean, how about the, the obviously not the overall result to end the year, but pretty good match to finish the year on. I'd say they gave us the fireworks we were looking for. I was going to say, man, like that, that was a great segue. That was like a clean fish segue. Like you should go into one, broadcasting. Man. Have you one song into another. I thought about it. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. What was yeah. your view? Like from, I mean, we had a blast. It seemed like a celebratory end of the year thing. Uh, I think. You know, going to the playoffs would have been nice, but I think mm-hmm. at the end of I was talking to some folks at the end of the end of the day, there are a lot of ways to judge is it the success of a season. Uh, some of the some of these things you can quantify. Other things are just sort of a general sense of where the community's grown and how the things that have been done, the connections that have been made, the the good times that have been had, and you know, by all those sort of measures, it was just like an amazing season. Um, the team was better than they were last year in terms of just points and results. Um, just sort of like a odd, unfair system, some might argue. Um, but it, to us down in the stands, it was a huge celebration. Uh, the weather worked out well just after that initial monsoon. It was just a beautiful sunset, amazing results, goals galore. Um, how did it look from up in the uh, up in the booth? Because it was a hell of a time where we were. Well, I'll start with it was a frustrating kind of beginning to the day, and I'd been prepping all day. I'd found that we're going to finish with the most points per match of any third place team in USL two, probably just the most points period of any third place team or any team to miss the playoffs in USL two. So it was kind of like, I showed up at the stadium. I, mm-hmm. I was like, all right, this is going to be a fun game, but like, man, it really stinks not in the playoffs interviewed coach fight for about two hours before kickoff. Like I do every game. And he shared kind of the same, like, yeah, this stinks kind of a bittersweet thing. But then he said to me, 
but we're going to try our best to give you some highlights tonight. And I was like, okay, that makes me happy. I like you guys are, he basically was like, we're going to pin our ears back. We're going to get the bag of tricks out. We're going to really just try to make this a fun performance. And I felt like they did that. And it was um, a, a performance where Nacho LaRache was doing his fiery thing of just being in the thick of everything. I felt like he did a great job getting on the ball it was really a one-sided match, obviously, where the field was completely tilted. The green where it felt like in training at times, just kind of passing around the Boston City defense. And then, like, they were kind of chipping away slowly. And then the Vermont green substitutions in the attacking end came on. And they had already built up a pretty substantial lead. But that second half was just clinical. I mean, once Zangi, Kamal, um, kind of that crew came on, um, it was it was put away and put away with some real real class and some real quality. Um, I thought Dylan Lane was excellent as always on the press and Dennis Kruchenkov's flicking header was a great finish for, for the big alphabet as I've liked to call him at times this season. And so uh, it was just a really fun performance. Felipe Diagostini's goal was one of the goals of the year with the short corner that was an outstanding finish. So I felt like they put together a performance that was well worth what we were expecting on kind of like, look, we got nothing to lose. Let's just go out there and see what type of fun we can have. The only disappointment for me was that Bilal Kamal is still somehow two years into USL two without a goal. I thought for sure he was going to find one. He, if, if there's anybody who deserves a goal more more than anyone than Bilal, I would like to meet them because it doesn't this doesn't seem possible. And um, yeah, man, it was it was like a wonderful end of the night. And you know, the I had a couple of moments after the game where I talked to some folks who I'd seen regularly regularly at games and some passing and um, talking to these two guys who were like, "That was awesome! This great win." Um, and then they're like, "So what's the deal with the playoffs? Is that a thing?" And I was like, "Oh no, we like like." But it was like they they weren't there for to make the playoffs. They weren't there right. to see, you know, like a specific finishing point for the team. They're there because week after week at every home game, rain or shine, they had an awesome experience and there was a huge crowd and it was a, just a generally good vibes. And that's something that I was trying to sort of convey to some of the founders, which is like, you're creating like a weekly experience that people want to come back to. Like people of all ages, kids are going crazy, like adults. It's just, it's, it's a, that unto itself is a success to get 2,500 people into this one place, put on an amazing show, like true talent on the field, like just great memories being formed. Like it's, that's huge. And like for, for us diehard, you know, football Vermont green nerds. Yeah. We think about the playoffs. We think about, we think about points per game. We think about how there are a lot of teams who qualified, who had worse points per game averages but for most people it's like oh man last saturday was awesome like just period that was just a great fun time at virtue and that's worth remembering as as fans as players as owners it's just like it's it's a very special place yeah to that point our producer on saturday was it, it was his first time producing the game all year jordan royer he does a great job and after the game he was just looking down at the field and kind of looking at me and saying can you believe this? I can't believe this. All the kids, everybody down there. And he's got a big family, lots of young kids running around. I've seen them at Lake Monster games before. He brings them to UVM games sometimes. He brought them to one game this year as a fan for Vermont Green, I believe. But he was in disbelief just at the interaction and like everything that was going on behind the stands, the food trucks, the events for kids, all of that stuff. It was really fun for him to experience it for the first time, kind of as a producer and as like, 
this is a ridiculous experience that we've got going on. I want to ask you guys, what's, what, what was the last moment like when the players are rushing up to all you guys, jumping up into the stands? Because that's something I don't get to experience up in the booth. That that little interaction there at the end with the guys and getting maple syrup poured on you guys. I saw that from Nacho. That was <laughs> that pretty was, cool. That and, was me, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Mike, Mike took a direct shot of maple syrup. So um, yeah, I drank half of that maple syrup. Betsy took <laughs> Betsy actually took it in her hand. And then gave it back to Nacho stupidly. And Tyson and I got it all over our face in our beards. And I'm like, I have to go to Vivid after I have, I have the mixer and like, and I've got stuff in my beard and I, and Nacho showed up and I said, dude, you owe me a bottle of beard shampoo. And he said, I'll bring you some from Europe. (laughs) Whoa. And I was like, that's a deal then. Um, But for me, um, honestly, last year, it seemed every goal somebody was jumping up. I know it was probably passed down from you know Coach Pfeiffer and, and you know and Chris and Stage and 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 Ruben. Those guys don't jump up there. You're going to get yourself injured one of these days. Um, maybe it was pa- passed along because this group didn't do that all year. For me, having them jump up there was the culmination of a hard, hard year that the these guys went through and. Only sustaining the three losses. I mean, it's crazy. It feels like it feels like NCAA football, right? You lose a game and you might be out. Um, and to that uh, point, um, our friend uh, Tristan Fortin, who is uh, who is one of our photographers, and he comes, he he drives down from Quebec, uh, you know, hours to see to to see his green play and to take some photos and just be part of the be part of this. Um, and we love him and we appreciate what he does for us and the, and the crew. He uh, passed along a couple of, of really cool charts. Uh, and in Vermont was number 20 in the country um, in points per match. Um, that's pretty insane out of all of the teams that are, that are in like what, 144 USL 100, teams or something. Right. And number 20 in points per match, uh, that doesn't get them into the playoffs. Um, they're one of only six teams in the top 25 or top 27. He's got here that played 14 games. Um, a couple of those teams only played 10 games. One team played 11 games this year. Um, so, having all of that knowledge now and understanding where like the goal differentials are like had one of the best goal differentials in all of USL two. Um, like Chicago city is number one, 2.75 points per match. They played in a very weak division. We play in a, in a vision, in a division that is clearly the top three teams are well-defined, but then maybe the top two teams are well-defined. The rest of the crew like from three to six, it can happen anywhere to anyone. And, and I feel that with a, with a division this large, um, you need to have an extra, at least opportunity to get into the playoffs. Um, and last year's at-large bid got us there. And the fact that we didn't get that this year is, is a little disheartening. And I think USL2, this might be a lesson to USL2 to kind of, help the fans understand how things work because because it's very confusing and like like tyler said a lot of us didn't know a lot of a lot of the 
casual fans didn't know. The great thing that I loved about this season, the, the main thing, was the fact that every single home game, save for one, there was some sort of rain. And there was an absolute monsoon downpour for 45 minutes at this last game. <laughs> and after that rain ended, I w- we were underneath, we were in the parking garage outside of where we usually, where we usually set up uh, uh, for the Green Mountain Boys. When we came back in, I was like, there's no way that there's going to be half the stands full. And we got back in there and I looked up at one point, absolutely full. There were some people right. who left, but it was absolutely full. You're right. No way. It was only half the, half the stands full. The full stands were full. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that speaks to the, uh, that's a testament to, to what this club has done for us in this community. In, in the soccer community in general, because a lot of these people probably weren't soccer fans before. I saw a bunch of after you know after the game, there's you know Vermont Green slowly put out um, was like releasing photos from the games and videos, and I saw a bunch of people retweeting one of the ones at the end with the players jumping up and like packed stands, smoke going, people cheering, players pouring maple syrup everywhere, and I saw a bunch of retweets and comments where it's like. Oh man, this is a like as good an argument for promotion and relegation in the U.S. as I've seen. Um, which you know, I, do I do I feel strongly about that? Not really, but the fact that somebody can look at our USL two club and be like, "This is a club worth thinking about in larger terms," and a club that could draw a larger audience and grow and is doing that sort of organically, but like has that potential and should be given the opportunity um is a is awesome that's like the really high compliment for someone to look at your club and say this club is awesome and it'd be cool if they could move up and play larger teams and have bigger larger exposure and um but it really is i mean those those scenes from the end of the game were celebratory they were awesome there's just like the genuine affection between the club and the players and the fans which is something i think you don't always see um and it it's you wouldn't know if you're looking at a, you know, a USL two club or like, a, you know, second tier, like European club. It's just the, the energy and the presence and the, the overall feel is just something else and something that is completely foreign to, with a few exceptions, I think most clubs at our, at our level. It really struck me seeing many of the players postseason Instagram posts. Oh my God. That's, yeah. that's not something you see in like, collegiate summer baseball like I've worked for a lot of baseball teams throughout the summers where guys come and go there's zero community connection they're this just there to try to get in front of scouts they're just there to try to maybe win some games they, they make good friends on the team right but there's no connection to the team and the fan and seeing that from these players and this fan base has been inspiring for me as somebody who is kind of working with the team. And I'm a fan of the team, but I'm slightly separated as the broadcaster. It is really inspiring to see how the players connect with you guys and how you guys connect with them and seeing the impact that's made on them by the end of the season. And the fact that so many guys did come back this year from last year. And some of those guys didn't even play all that much this year for this club. They knew they were going to be buried on the depth chart. And look, that might be the same case next year. Who knows who's going to be coming to town a year from now and what type of talent they've got coming in. And so 
Um, there's no guarantees that you're going to play because this club is trying to win and win a lot of games. And that's what the coaching staff is supposed to do. But there is still such an unbelievable connection between club player and community that um, I really haven't seen in a limited professional career, but I've been with a bunch of different organizations now. And this is, it's pretty rare to see that many postseason Instagram posts from players like that. I, I gotta admit, say, I was reading those. Yeah. I was reading those player posts, and I've been reading them sort of the past week. And at one point, I'm like, "Oh shit! I think the room's dusty, and my eyes are <clears throat> getting a little <laughs> something. It must be the the storm blew in some dust because I feel a little." Uh, <clears throat> um, it's amazing, and and it's nice to see that the feeling is very mutual. You know, these are players who players who have been a joy to watch and have been like just wonderful with community and with kids. And after the games, it's just awesome. But, um. I, you know, let, let's, let's play this game predictions for next year. Who's coming back? How does the team look? I mean, Ooh, Jesus. I, feel like, I feel like going into the, you know, it's all speculative, but going to our third season, we now have two seasons worth of, of players who may want to come back. There's just, you know, a second season in a, in, in the books where you can point to the successes that the team had in terms of recruiting uh, making recruiting easier and being able to draw on a larger pool. Like what does Vermont green look like in, in their third season? I told Jake Ashford uh, at vivid after that uh, he's never allowed to leave. I talked, you know, I talked to a few of the players like uh, Zach Zenge said it was absolutely the, uh, the most fun he's ever had playing soccer. Um, which, which speaks to a lot, you know, um, I had, I had Nate Jones, uh, tell me, I was just kind of walking out and I just shook his hand. I said, thank you for a great summer. And, and, uh, he actually apologized to me for, um, for not responding to my messages when <laughs> I was asking him to come on the podcast. Um, but he said, he, he said straight up, it was the best summer of his life. Which is which is crazy for a college kid to say, you know, especially from coming out west. Um, so the the thing that really always gets me is that I came into soccer late in my life. I'm you know in, as a forty something year old guy, and it was kind of it. It seems like now that it was the missing piece for me. So I'm trying to live like I'm in my twenties when through through the Vermont Green. So so having those those young kids respond to a, to an old motherfucker like me. It, it just, it, it, it kind of warms my heart and, and, and um, to see the way that my daughter kind of latched on to this club this year, she kind of got into it a little bit last year, but she was right up front with us for a good number of those games this year. And she really only likes to see her brother's soccer games, but she got into it so much this year that uh, she wants to start a, uh, a Green Mountain Boys uh, Junior Club next year, um, which I think would be amazing. So uh, she's she's 14 years old. She's my little cause head. She she kind of picks something and goes with it for a while, and uh, everything that she supports uh, supports the vision of the club. So I think that's what this club does. And for next year, I think we're going to grow even more. Jake Ashford will be here forever. If we have to, <laughs> if we, if we have to chain him to the bleachers, only let him out on game day. Um, and I think, you know, 
I, I heard from a number of players that they'll definitely be back this year. I, th- I can't remember which player it was who posted on their Instagram that this is definitely not a goodbye. It's a see you later. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I, I was, I was just going to keep rolling, but <laughs> I'll start to hypothesize on some players that could potentially come back. The two youngsters from Davidson, Alonzo Clark and Dennis Kruchenkov were both here from day one and stuck it out through the end. They're both really young. Um, they're both quite talented. Alonzo Clark can play a couple different positions. Kruchenkov, obviously huge frame for a striker, good finisher. Those are two guys that are on the younger side that immediately jumped to mind. It's really cool to see how this kind of grows throughout college campuses. Um, hearing from guys like Giorgio Probo, who heard not only from his teammates at Creighton, but he heard from former teammate at Iowa Western, Rodrigo Ferreira. The two of them had played together there before separating ways, playing then at different colleges. Um, so I, I would expect to see more boys from Creighton roll through. Um, Gabe Threadgold's on the younger side, as far as Washington players go, I've just finished his sophomore year. He's a guy that I could potentially see being a real staple and returning next year. Um, you're obviously kind of looking for guys on the younger side or maybe who haven't had monster collegiate seasons because the guys who blow up in college, like we saw Owen O'Malley and Deba Nwegbo kind of do this last year, they're going to take off and that's good for them. They should be trying to pursue that professional step. We saw that kind of this year with, I think, Gavork Diarbian had probably more early success than he was expecting early on this year. He's going to be a massive piece for Providence coming up in the fall. So you can't really look too far in advance on some of these pieces because who knows if Yaniv Bazzini and Max Murray go out and score 15 goals apiece for UVM this fall. Yaniv probably isn't going to be coming back next year. His talents are beyond this club, but that's okay because I expect this coaching staff who have unbelievable connections and reach throughout this country to make the right recruitment pitches and make the right connections with the right coaches. Um, and look, I'll tell you this story. They didn't ever really reach out to Washington. That was a Washington wanting to send their guys to somewhere new, somewhere different. They wanted to send some of their top guys to have an experience. And so that was kind of a mutual look. Right. Let's reach out to, let's reach out to some, some East Coast places and see what, see what we can find. And so I would expect more coaches to maybe even reach out to coach Pfeiffer and his staff and say, we want to send our guys to you to have this experience because they see the experience that other players are having and they see the product on field that, I mean, talk about a great coaching staff. I'll put that staff up against anybody in USL too, personally, as far as developmental work and overall training and style of play they teach. So I think that those are some names that I would look at as potential likely returners and, um, going to be a lot of new guys too. That's just the way these leagues work. We're going to have a lot of new faces next year. That's just kind of par for the course in collegiate summer sports. Sure. And it's like, yeah, it's, that's a, that's really interesting that Washington reached out to the club. I mean, that's a great sign. I that... think it was kind of a mutual, like Pfeiffer probably threw out a net, tossed his net out wide reaching and sure. he had them come back to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, between the play on the field and sort of the experience that players have just being in Burlington for the summer, it's got to be an easier and easier pitch year over year to be like your, your, your players will get better and they will have an awesome time and everybody benefits. And um, you know, it's the, the really sort of tricky thing about this league is that your best players are not going to stick around because as they should, they're going to get snatched up by 
USL one clubs, USL championship clubs and, and, you know, further, further their careers. And this sort of silver lining to it all is that with each season, we have more and more guys who we can point to as being, you know, former boys in green who are now out there in the world. And man, there's, I still love watching Diva scoring no matter where he is. Like, that's awesome. Watching Owen play, watching Ethor get out some, get some minutes at Seattle. Like, there's this growing roster of former green players where you're like, that's, that's one of our guys. And that's, that's cool. Man. Cause honestly, prior to to that, I, I wouldn't follow like MLS next. I wouldn't follow necessarily USL championship. Like it's, it's fine. But like having those direct connections to former Vermont green players, just, it's going to be awesome. And at some point we're going to see these, some of these guys like at the highest level or, and it's going to be like a pretty, pretty <laughs> special feeling. I tell you what, I, Giorgio Probos, going places that's a guy that can play just about anywhere on the field and I mean he he's a guy that I'm watching very closely to see professionally where he ends up because man he is just pure class I think uh, yeah his Giorgio Giorgio's got a skill set that that a lot of clubs are going to be looking for and may not have all of the big numbers may not be the flashiest of players um He's one of those guys that's that's definitely going places, and I, I think Yanni Pazzini too. Uh, it may take him a couple of years to break into um, MLS or something like that, but I, he's definitely going to go somewhere. Uh, he admitted to me the other day he grew up with Menor Solomon, um, who just signed with Tottenham Hotspur, um, and uh, they they have been friends and been playing against each other for years, and he aspires to the same type of same type of you know thing and and menor got his chance in premier league because of unfortunately because of the war in ukraine because he was playing in the ukrainian league you know not necessarily the same type of league but it, it the paths can be similar for for players like that i, I think bazzini uh and he's a he's a good strong-willed kid and he knows where what he wants and those are the type of players that the players that know what they want and know where they want to be are the kids that that are going to continue to grow and continue to progress their careers like there there are kids i'm sure on the team who just want to continue what they're doing and and they have their career path set out through their college and you know soccer is there to get them to their initial or to their end goal of being where they want to be in their life and they're finding their station in life. And I, and I love both of those paths. It's great for these kids. And it's, and I think it's, it's very important for us to continue to support kids like that. Agreed. Yeah. So I think uh, we're coming up on time here, boys. This has been a pretty easy conversation. We could probably go on all night, but uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, Let's uh let's do some final thoughts here. Uh Tyler, I'll let you uh start off with your with final thoughts. If you've got any, go ahead and just talk. Yeah, man. I'll just say it was another great season. Everything from season one to season two seemed bigger and better. Um, and it was a uh, you know, uh it was a genuinely awesome celebration and a really awesome way to cap off uh this just extremely short season suddenly it was like at the end it seemed like we're just starting um but uh yeah already looking forward to next summer and um and whatever adventures that'll bring with Vermont green and um you know yeah up the green brian i'll just say first off thank you again for having me on the show tonight it's been real fun chatting with both you gentlemen um i want to give one more major shout out to 
our entire production crew because again, Matt and I, I, I texted our producer Justin at the end of the last broadcast. Matt and I can have the best game of our lives talking. And it doesn't matter because the production is actually what people watch for and how they actually become familiar with the players. And they would have no clue what any of them looked like without those guys. And so I'm so thankful to work with such creative and talented people behind the scenes who you guys don't know and probably don't get enough credit. So I wanted to just shout them out and uh, to echo those thoughts. I mean, what a great second season. I'm so thankful for this club in many ways. A, to give me something to broadcast during the summer, during my off season of basketball, but also just for helping me continue to find a passion for, for the game of soccer and, and find things that I love in broadcasting. And um, it is such an honor to be able to tell the story of this club and these players. And I'm so thankful for the fans who listen and the people who are at the games and um, even for Tom Proctor, who sometimes drowns out my own voice during the broadcasts because <laughs> he's so loud. I'm, I'm thankful for people like him who are, uh, just have made this club what it is. And uh, I'm excited to see where, where it just keeps growing. It's only big things going forward up the green. Awesome. Uh, I echo all of those sentiments and uh, I always, uh, I always sign off uh, with uh, telling people that it's, it's a really tough world out there. Uh, we've had weather this year uh we've had uh a number of uh catastrophic events that have happened and in everybody's life it's a it's a really tough world out there and i just want to remind everybody in everything you do just be safe and be smart so uh with that be safe and up the green sweet that was awesome Shuffling. Shuffling, shuffling. Step up fast. 
be the first girl to make me throw this cash. We get money, don't be mad. Now stop. Hating is bad. One more shot for us. Another round. Please fill up, look up. Don't mess around. We just want to see you shake it out. Now you home with me. You're naked now. Get up, get down. Put your hands up to the sun. Get up, get down. Put your hands up to the sun. Get up, get down. Put your hands up to the sun. Put your hands up to the sun. Put your hands up to the sun. Let's go. Yeah, but what loaded the comp? 